You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? Johnny Heller here, host of the Phillies Nation podcast, coming at you with another episode. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about the 2014 Phillies season. Um, And although there were not very many memorable moments from that year, there are at least a couple to talk about. Some good, some maybe... Not so good, um, but as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Daubert. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about this very odd Phillies team. They went 73-89, and 89, a very weird team. They could not really hit. They were very old, and I think they thought they were going to compete before this year. They signed Marlon Bird and A.J. Burnett, so instead of really kicking off an actual rebuild, they, I guess, were trying to still see if they could catch lightning in a bottle really quick with their aging core and make the playoffs one more time. But it obviously didn't happen, uh, and we're going to talk about some of the moments from this season for you guys, so I'm excited to do it. Yeah, like you said, uh, Marlon Bird was one of the the big fruitions this year um and he actually uh just to show how how poorly this team performed offensively he had the highest ops on the team at 757 he led the team in home runs with uh 25 he led the team in rbis with 85 so he was really the best he was the best offensive player on this team um and I, I take that back. Howard actually led the team with 95 RBIs, but I mean the point still remains that Marlon Bird, when Marlon Bird is the best hitter on your team, um, you know things things were not going well for for the Phillies. And um, the pitching staff they were okay. Um, even you know Roberto Hernandez was okay. David Buchanan was okay. They all had ERAs under four, but at the end of the day, you know that the lineup was not scoring at all and obviously this team um just couldn't get it done um so ty would you like to start us off with a memorable moment from the season sure thing uh first thing i want to talk about is ben revere's first career home run this one came in late may against the rockies it was a left-on-left matchup for ben revere uh he got one and put it into the right field seats. He obviously, uh, in his years, his year before with the Phillies and his time with the Twins, he never hit a home run, was never much of a power guy. He was, I don't know, uh, maybe one of the last like pure slap hitter type of players. Uh, there's still some that are definitely more contact oriented, but you know he uh nobody nobody is nobody is a full-time starter that i can think of that really hits like ben revere did and finally in 2014 he found his power stroke and he was able to to put one out against the rockies at home here yeah um like you said he's kind of kind of a uh a lost uh skill in in baseball today is, is these guys to hit 300 and slug 300, you know, um, it's all singles, but, you know, Ben Revere only struck out 49 times that season. He, he was a contact guy and, and he, um, you know, he hit over 300 and, 
Um, I think, you know, a lot of people liked him at the time and baseball analytically has progressed so much, even over the last uh, few years that people have realized that hitting, hitting 300 does not really mean anything. Uh, if you aren't walking and you're not <laughs> getting to second base. Um, so yeah, uh, like you said, he hit his first home run against the Rockies. And then later in the season, um, the uh, game in Washington. Uh, um, it's the ninth inning, and the Phillies were down seven six, I think. Two outs. Ben Revere at the plate, and he he hits a home run to to right, and you can just hear it in Tom McCarthy's voice, just like the shock that Ben Revere, who had one career home run in nearly two thousand major league plate appearances, was able to get it done in in a you know a really huge moment so that's one of the bigger memories i have from that season um is watching that and being in all of the fact that ben revere was able to do that um i would i, I would argue that that is his best moment as a philly other than obviously catch in cincinnati uh that we talked about last week but yeah ben revere um so ty do you have another memory yeah, um, for this one, I'm going to go with the kind of emergence of Ken Giles. So, Ken Giles, 100 Miles Giles, uh, he was talked about a lot that spring training as somebody who could eventually come out here and make the bullpen and make an impact. Potentially, he started the season in A. He was pretty quickly sent to AAA Lehigh Valley and then... In June, when Mike Adams got hurt, Ken Giles came in, and he gave up a home run to his very first batter. But other than that, he was he was pretty good. Uh, part of uh, part of another game that we'll talk about. Uh, that was a big one for the Phillies. But he, um, I, I think he kind of emerged as a legitimately a legitimately good bullpen option. He, uh, you know, the Phillies obviously traded him. They got a decent return for him later on uh, down the future. But Ken Giles and kind of the hype, he was, um, you know, one of the, one of the first hyped prospects to just come up. In a little while, uh, he had some buzz around his name, so it was interesting to see him get his chance to come up in 2014. Yeah, um, Ken Giles was really good his rookie year, um, 1.18 ERA in 44 games. He was he was incredible, um, and like you said, it was it, there wasn't a lot of you know young talent on that team, um, you know that. Cody Ashey and, and Dominic Brown both took a on this team. You know, they were both thought of, of as guys that maybe could could be pieces of a, a future Phillies team, but they obviously uh, season showed that neither of those guys were quite there. But Ken Giles, you know, really broke out and was a star. Um, and obviously, like you said, we'll, we'll talk about it on. Um, I guess we'd do that on in the 2015 episode, even though it was during the offseason, but they, they eventually traded him because 
point in having a um, elite closer on a team that's not going to be leading in the ninth inning of very many games. But, you know. Um, so building off of that, because as you mentioned, there's a, a game that featured Ken Giles and was a, a pretty big game for the Phillies. And this, um, of course, was the combined no-hitter against the Braves. Um, early September, uh, it was in Atlanta, Cole Ham- started by Cole Hamels. And, uh, you know, he... I don't think he had his best stuff that day. I think he walked five guys. Um, his pitch count was over 100 pitches through six innings, and um, Ryan Sandberg made the move to get him out of the game. Obviously, you don't want to risk a player's health, your your best player's health, on something like a no-hitter. Um, we've seen that go poorly for franchises before, like uh, when the Mets did that with Johan Santana. So um, Jake Diekman pitched an inning, struck out a couple guys, Giles came in, struck out the side, and then uh, Jonathan Papelbon came in and closed it out. And uh, it was combined no-hitter um, in the first no-hitter for the Phillies since um, Roy Halladay's in 2010. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment in, a, in an otherwise lost season. Yeah, combined no-hitters are weird sometimes. It's like the players don't know exactly what to do. They don't know if they should celebrate like it's a, a regular no hitter, but at the same time they know it's a little bit more than just a regular win. So it's kind of funny to see people's reactions. It's not quite the jumping up and down joy and everything, but they still kind of, you know, come together at the mound and have fun with it. Yeah, it was cool, and yeah, yeah, like you said, it's it's not quite the same, obviously. And we'll talk about this next week when Hamels threw his no hitter by himself. That was a much more special moment, um, especially considering the circumstances, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, there, there were not very many, uh, good moments for this team. No, for sure. And this was, (laughs) this was one of them. Yeah. Uh, but while we're on the topic of no hitters, I think that we should talk about Josh Beckett's no hitter in citizens bank park. Uh, in May, Beckett came in and he obviously he no hit the Philadelphia Phillies. He struck out Chase Utley at the end to secure that no hitter. Uh, Beckett was, you know, the, I think this was the last year of his career. Uh, he was no longer quite the same guy, but he, uh, you know, he was an ace at one point in his career, had a really good season. But that was a that was an interesting moment, you know, something that the Phillies obviously didn't want to happen, but it was still something very notable and cool to happen in Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, I, I am a big fan of just watching really good pitching performances, you know, um, no matter, you know, what team at the time might be wanting to win or, or whatever it may be. I think watching a good uh, pitcher's Duel is better than a slugfest or, you know, anything of that nature. Um, so this was pretty cool. And um, like you mentioned, it was a twilight of, of Beckett's career. This was actually the last season um, that he pitched, uh, 2014. Um, a little bit of a bounce back year after he, he was injured in 2013, only appeared in eight games. But, he got um, he got hurt. He got hurt yeah. afterwards, after this no-hitter again, right? Yeah, I think so. But, um, yeah, I mean, this was his last season. Josh Beckett was – he was pretty good. Um for a, a good chunk of his career um and yeah i mean was, he was a 
Yeah. He was a World Series MVP and an ALCS MVP in his yeah. career. So, yeah. Big time pitcher. Yeah, for sure. And um, this was obviously a, a cool game to watch, even if you were a Phillies fan and, you know, didn't want them to get no hit. Um, it's always a pretty special special thing to see. Um, yeah. It's so... pretty fun. It's pretty funny that uh, you know, the Josh Beckett came out no hit. He no hit the Phillies there, uh, you know, in 2014, and then within the next two seasons, it feels like half that Phillies team would end up on the Dodgers. <laughs> that is true. Um, everyone on the Phillies was either from the Dodgers or went to the Dodgers, um, or somewhere in the NLS. Some some Giants in there. Obviously, Rollins went to the Giants. Um, Rollins that is, also went to the Dodgers. That's true. How how could I forget? Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy how how that all worked out. Uh, um, but uh, my next moment—it's gonna be two moments. Um, I think this was in the, over the span of like a few weeks, maybe maybe it was it was even less than that. Uh, Phillies had a, a journeyman named Reed Brignac, um, who, you know, they, they brought up just, you know, they needed a utility guy. And so the first, he, he had two walk-offs in the span of like two weeks-ish. Uh, the first one came, it was the end of May, um, Phillies were tied with the Mets. And so I think he came in in like the, the 11th or 12th inning uh, to pinch hit. And he was just so overmatched. It looked like he like forgot how to hit. Um, like he just he couldn't. He was swinging at everything, and he struck out and just like did not look good. And then he comes back up in the 14th, um, still doesn't look comfortable at the plate. Uh, but then you know gets a ball right down the middle, and bases are loaded, and he shoots it over the uh, he shoots it over the left fielder's head for a walk off. Um, and then a couple weeks later. Uh, in the bottom of the ninth, a couple guys on in a 0-0 game. Um, he hits a walk-off home run. Then former Philly great Nick Vincent. Um, so yeah, couple couple walk-offs for Reed Brignac, the unlikeliest of heroes. Yeah, that was that was Johnny Heller's Twitter header for a while. That that <laughs> shot. Was. You got there. There's some interesting stuff going on in the background there. You yeah. got. <laughs> you got what Papelbon grabbing John Mayberry? <laughs> yeah, giving him giving him a hug from behind. You got yeah. there's a lot going on. Very interesting moment. It's uh, a great like, picture. Like Johnny said, uh, like Johnny said earlier, that was not very many good moments in that season. But you know, the journeyman getting a walk off. That's a you know one of the few feel good moments of the season. For sure. Um, I'll yeah, go. I'll go this time. I this isn't really a moment, just more of something I wanted to talk about. Uh, the fact that Grady Sizemore played for the Phillies <laughs> is so <laughs> weird. Sizemore was a a really good player for Cleveland in the 2000s. Uh, I, injuries and and ineffectiveness halted his career for a while, but he made a comeback with the Phillies starting in 2014. And to be honest, I don't remember much of it because it doesn't even feel real that he was on the Phillies. Yeah. I think he started that season with the Red Sox. 
Um, and they designated him for assignment because he was not really that good anymore. And then the Phillies picked him up, and he he did make 176 plate appearances, so he he did play like a, a good amount. Um, yeah, he was on the team the next season too for at least a little bit. Yeah, for 39 games. Yep. So, like you said, not he didn't really do much. There was there's not much to remember. But uh, yeah, Grady Sizemore was a Philly, um, which people forget that. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Very, 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 very weird. Um. All right. So <laughs> the next moment is one that uh, I think everyone remembers. Um. Not too fondly. Uh. So it was a. It was the middle of September, and I think the Phillies were up maybe four to one on the Marlins. They were up, up a few runs <laughs> and um, Jonathan Papelbon came in and blew the save. And by the time he was out of the game, it was, it was five, four, the Phillies, Phillies were, lo- or yeah, we're losing. And as he's walking off the mound, um, he's getting booed and he, he, he's walking to the dugout and he adjusts his, his jock strap and <laughs> immediately gets ejected from the game. Um, and then <laughs> Major League Baseball suspended him for seven games for doing that, which is absolutely crazy when you think about like how much players get, get suspended for you know purposely throwing at at batters and and was stuff that like that. Same? Like seven games was a lot. <laughs> so what? was was Joe West the one that threw him out of that yes. game? Was that when yes. Joe West grabbed Jonathan Pavlovon by the shirt and yelled yes. at him? Yes. <laughs> two of the just most outgoing type of like is willing to open their mouth uh figures in baseball joe west and jonathan papelbon uh two big personalities going at it that's that's what you come to the ballpark for people people say you know when when fans of a certain team they feel like they're getting uh you know they're getting screwed by an umpire or the umpire does something uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, we didn't come here to, to see the umpire or whatever. That's dumb because watching umpires like do stuff is, it's definitely entertaining. Like ejections, arguments, they're entertaining. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And to be fair, uh, Ty is a little bit biased cause he is an umpire. Um, so you know, maybe he has a little bit more of an appreciation for that kind of stuff than we do. But honestly, I do agree that it's pretty entertaining. Um, the drama is always good. And all right, all right, do you think do you think a seven game suspension was a little hefty for for this? Yeah, yeah, it's like like a fine. Like he should have been punished. But yeah. maybe maybe it was also because of his comments after the game when he just kept going at the umpires and uh, he. This was the the video that you sent me, right? This was not, not the video. That was from 2012. That was from 2012. All right, my yeah. bad. My bad. But I, So Johnny sent me another video of Papawan ripping into umpires. But I do know that after this game, I'm I'm sure that he was not... Oh, yeah. He was not very sorry for what he did. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> the, the another great part of this is both the Phillies response and Ryan Sandberg's response to like the suspension. They were like, yeah, we can't really defend him. Like, 
like Sandberg, Sandberg basically said, yeah, you know, he told me he didn't mean to gesture like that to the crowd, but like, am I really supposed to believe him? What? Wow. A, a true player's manager. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Sandberg. Oh Ryan, the two, the two things I think about when I think of Ryan Sandberg's uh, tenure in Philadelphia. Well, three, three. Um, you know, that, him not defending Jonathan Papelbon, just outwardly <laughs> taking the other side. Um, then him getting, ye- him and Ken Giles yelling at each other, and then Chase Utley yelling at, at the pitching coach and, and Ryan Sandberg. So it, it did not seem that the Ryan Sandberg tenure, he, it was ever, he he never seemed to be the type of player's manager that Charlie Manuel was. Or that Gabe Kapler was. Gabe Kapler, you know, <laughs> he never. He, Gabe Kapler would never say anything no. like uh, like what Sandberg said about Papelbon. He wouldn't. Yeah. I think he sided with his players on nearly everything to maybe a, to a fault. Maybe to a fault. Yeah, I was just gonna say maybe a little too much. Um, but that's you know another conversation for another day. Was the time Utley and Sandberg got into it was that when Frank Hor pitched? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was more it was more Utley yelling at the uh, the pitching coach when he came out. I think it was McClure at the time. Yeah. But I think there was some arguing with Sandberg as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was not not the the Phillies have had a few managers over the past six seven years, and um, I think that Ryan Sandberg might have been the most disliked. I'll put it that way. Who who would have thought that you know managing the Iowa Cubs might not translate <laughs> into handling the aging core of the Philadelphia Phillies? I I don't know how anyone could have seen that coming. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's. Yeah, <laughs> I got. Go this is just kind of the last thing I have written down here. Just the fact that the Phillies obviously were not very good in 2014. They were not going to make the playoffs. They were not going to do anything. And they had a lot of aging veterans. Some even on one year deals like Marlon Bird and AJ Burnett. And. They did not trade anyone at the July 31st trade deadline. They didn't That's trade true. any. They didn't <laughs> trade anyone. Everyone knew that they were not going to do anything, and it was time to blow it up. But the Phillies apparently did not know this. They did in in August when there were waiver trades still back then. Uh, they traded Roberto Hernandez, and they got a pretty good package for it. They got Victor Arano back in that deal. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty good trade by Ruben Amaro. Good find. Uh, and they also, I believe, traded John Mayberry Jr. to the Blue Jays, maybe? Yeah, for for, for uh, Gustav P- Gustavo. Wait, say that again? <laughs> for Gustavo Pierre. All right. He, <laughs> he never broke out with the Phillies, but at least they, they took yet. a shot. Not yet. They took a shot on on somebody. Which they should have done more. I, yeah. it's just is it not mind blowing that they had Marlon Bird and AJ Burnett and just all these guys, even even the Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley's. I know they ended up dealing uh, Rollins and Utley in the future, but it's just kind of it's it's wild to me that they stood pat at the trade deadline and 
didn't didn't get anything for some of these guys. Yeah, um, had to reach tool for 2015. You know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, I, it's <laughs> you know Freddie Galvez played 40 games this year and Cesar Hernandez played 66. You know, neither of those guys were good, but at that point, you know, you can see them as potential replacements. They don't have to be good. Like, the Phillies had guys ready or close to ready to play if they traded Rollins, Utley, Howard. Um, but like you said, they just didn't do it. And Even if know. they didn't trade that those guys, uh, I think they were also, they what, they traded Papelbon the next year? Yeah. And, and they got... They got um, Pavetta for him the next year, but when he was still, he was better the year before, I believe. Like I think they, and with another year on the contract, they probably yeah. could have gotten more in 2014. They just yeah, and they, they didn't had, get anything they for had, him. They had Ken Giles. Like what are you, what are you doing? But you know, yeah, what a weird time. How it went. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have nothing. One, I, have, one, I have nothing else. Do you have yeah, one more? I have one more thing. Um, this is just a little bit of a side note. Um, 2014. This is off the field, um, but at the amateur draft, the Phillies drafted Aaron Nola in the first round, um, the seventh pick, and they drafted Reese Hoskins in the fifth round. Um, so obviously now these guys are um, make up uh, the part of the core of of a team that is hoping to make the playoffs in 2020. So um, interesting if to see. A season. That's true. Um, which honestly, uh, we can touch on the article from uh, Jeff Fasson today. It it seems like there it there's at least hope that it'll start. You know, in June, which um, isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Something I just wanna I wanna say, and I think you agree. If Major League Baseball is listening, um, I I don't think that cramming in a bunch of doubleheaders is the way to go. I think a shortened season would make for a better product. I know they have more time off, but jamming too many games into a short amount of time would not would not make for the best baseball, especially after you know they had time off, but at the same time, quickly throwing them into a lot of games won't well, isn't the best thing. Yeah, um, I agree with Ty. I think you know for the, the player's health too, um, you know, not playing for several months and then, you know, playing nine games a week would be, would probably be a little much. Um, if that happened, we see six man rotations or a lot of bullpen games, the product, the product would not like Ty said, it wouldn't be as good. Um, and I think, you know, if there's like a hundred game season, something around there, that's small enough of a sample size for, you know, these players, some players to have just like absurd years, you know, like if, if last year, if it was a 100 game season, Cody Bellinger would have hit like 380. Um, so I think, I think it'd be kind of fun to see, you know, what pitcher has an ERA under two or what hitter, you know, has an OPS over 1200, you know, something like that happen. Um, you know, maybe Michael Franco wins MVP in Kansas City. It's like, you know, I'd be fun. I, yeah, I agree. I want something weird. Give yeah. me some weird baseball. Weird That's baseball is objectively the best baseball. Nobody yeah. wants, and I I get that maybe this is not me. Like depending how far this stretches, maybe 
um, you know, if they go into the colder months, neutral site playoff games might be necessary. But I think that I think that fans are I think fans would rather have a shorter regular season and to be able to watch their teams in the postseason in their home ballparks rather than watch playoff baseball in a neutral site. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it like if they want to play as many games as possible and they push it into November, December in a neutral site, I don't think it has the same feel. Yeah, and I mean I think you also have to think of the ramifications of the season being pushed back that far on um the coming season. You probably start a little later, which obviously wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And um honestly, I would not hate watching baseball in December, um, I must say. Um but yeah, I don't disagree with you, and I think a short season would be fine. Um, obviously, you know, it would be cool for, for the games just to be not have to be at neutral sites, but at the same time, we're not even sure that fans are going to be allowed in at all this yeah, season. Yeah, very true. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think that I, – I don't know. I think they'll figure something out, too. Yeah. I, I know Major League Baseball, they have not – handled everything that they've been dealt with perfectly, but I think they're going to do what they can to salvage this season if possible. For sure. I, I agree there. Um, and like you said, hopefully um, we get some baseball sooner than later. Um, in the meantime, you know, we're going to keep <laughs> pumping out some more of these uh, throwback episodes, but uh, any last thoughts, Ty, before we wrap things up? Nope. All right. Well, uh, thanks to everyone uh, for listening. Uh, Stay safe and healthy and uh, tune in next week when we talk about the 2015 Phillies. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.